Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, what a day it has been. Day four of the Australian Open. Matt and I have just got back after 13 hours on site covering a an extraordinary day of tennis. We were both up before the matches even started. Yesterday was a su- success. Our body clocks are back on track Uh, We were up early enough even to watch the Channel 9 build-up to the day's play, uh, which means pre-10am, David. We were up early enough to watch, or well, uh, I watched a feature entitled Anatomy of an Upset, (laughs) detailing exactly how Kyrgios was going to pull off the impossible against Medvedev on the Rod Laver Arena this evening. Uh, It didn't age brilliantly folks no i mean upsets was the theme of the day just not that one Mm. yeah anatomy of an upset david it was Mm. it was a detailed forensic analysis of how nick kyrgios plays his best against the best players in the world and you know he's fresh because he hasn't played any tennis in eight months and My take on the match, and I didn't watch as much of it as you, David, because there was a lot going on this evening. Matt and I on the second court watching Emma Raducanu. Plenty more of that later, don't worry. My take on Medvedev Kyrgios, though, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that actually Kyrgios did play his best. Yeah. His best is just scraping a set against Daniil Medvedev. Yeah, and I don't think we'll ever know. I, d- I suspect we'll never know throughout his career now whether he's got another level in him which might come of dedication and regular training and having a coach. Those are levels that I think Nick Kyrgios' career will never provide for us to, to tell us whether that would have been possible. But with what he's got right now, I think he did all of the things that – that in years gone by we would have said, I hope we see this from Nick Kyrgios. He came out, he was firing, he was dialed in, he was loosening himself up with a few off-pace shots, he was digging into rallies, he was pushing Medvedev, and he even did something I wasn't expecting, which was to win the third set after losing the first two. Didn't expect that, because I felt that that showed some real determination and mental strength to, to carry on and persist, even though two sets slowed down. He made, a, he made a comeback, and he made it exciting, and the crowd were into it, and they were trying to get under Medvedev's skin, and to some degree they achieved that. And there were some incredible highlight moments. And, you know, my son, who was off school today, wasn't feeling very well, but my word, if he'd have, if he'd have looked like he did at, uh, midway through this match when we said he didn't have to go to school, he'd have been going to school because he was jumping up and down and mimicking Kyrgios and loving all of his tricks and all these sort of things. I thought Kyrgios did really well. But what was most telling, and I didn't get to see his press comments personally, but I did hear him motion to his support team and just say, I can't, I can't do any more than I'm doing. I've just hit, I'm hitting 220. Well, if I hit 240, he just sort of motions and... Just just strokes it back as though it's nothing. I'm throwing the kitchen sink at Medvedev. He rates Medvedev so highly. That much is clear. And frankly, he's got every right to. 
Best hardcore player in, in the world, Nick Kyrgios called, called Medvedev after the match. I mean, that is kind of his style, isn't it? That's what Nick Kyrgios does after losses. He he says the guy he's lost to is, is the best player in the world. But Daniel Medvedev very well might be the best player in the world at this particular moment. Obviously, according to the rankings, and the rankings don't lie, um, over the last 12 months, Novak Djokovic has been the best player in the world. Um, rather ironically, the most circusy, agrotastic moment of the whole match came from Daniil Medvedev in the post-match interview. I waited four minutes, folks, before I got on to the Medvedev post-match interview. I hope we can all agree that I've been extremely restrained. Matt, talk us through it. Help, help me relive the the glory that was Medvedev, Courier, everything that ensued. Well, we were on the second court, weren't we? And to get from the second court back to the press centre, you quite conveniently have to walk past the Rod Laver Arena. And we saw that it was 5-2 to Medvedev in the fourth set. He was closing in on victory. And we ummed and ah, didn't we, about whether it was worth going in to see the end because it, you know, presumably we were just going to be there for a game or two. But then we remembered Medvedev and the potential for interview aggro. And we made some good decisions today. That was the best <laughs> decision we made all day, to get in the stadium, to witness that. Um, I'm trying to remember how it went. Um, Jim Curry asked him quite a open first question, didn't he? Something... I can't quite remember what the question was, but it was just sort of general thoughts on the match and how you enjoyed it. And yeah, it, it was boilerplate first question. Uh, and and Medvedev went dead-eyed, stare, stone-cold, one-liner answer. I enjoyed it. I'm glad that I won. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, a, it was a moment of, oh, it's going to be uh-huh. that kind of interview. Excellent. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah I I grabbed my popcorn instantly and it really was that kind of interview wasn't it every this the the suing the booing the suing the whatever it is it's continued mm. sadly um, incidentally um I I was watching the Andy Murray match with with my daughter before she went to school and two points in she said why are they booing and I said, apparently they're not booing. They're doing that thing that Ronaldo does, that Lu- that y- your brother's always doing when it, when he's trying to pretend to be Ronaldo or whatever when he scored a goal. And and she said, oh, I know. It's what boys do to communicate with each other, isn't it, on the bus? Then they're just morons. And I thought, I said, yeah, yeah, that's that's basically it. Yeah. Oh, she's she's she's, paraf- it. she's paraphrased Daniil Medvedev perfectly. There, it sounds like she said what Daniil Medvedev did before he before he said it. I mean, look, I, I completely agree as well. There's, I, I've been trying to put my finger on why I hate it so much because, you know, I love aggro, clearly, love atmosphere. You know, I, I really don't mind drunk Australians in a crowd being a bit silly. I don't mind the occasional naff come on Tim at Wimbledon. You know, I'm, I'm into all sorts of crowd vibes uh, and I really don't like this and uh, it's something about the fact that it is exclusively male mm. I mean maybe there's the odd female voice in there being drowned out but it it certainly sounds exclusively male exclusively just a certain demographic of male that feels so sort of tired and toxic masculinity somehow it just and, get a life, and they lads. All, get a life. Yeah, get a life. They all think it's so cool and, the, the, the and fact, clever and it's The fact just that not. Jim Courier had to explain it to Dano Medvedev on the court as well. The fact that all these players, they don't know what's going on they're just, and they're, they're mistaking it for booing. Yeah, it's just, it's just rubbish. Just stop doing it, right? And Medvedev was really irritated by it. There was a different energy to his sort of goading of, of the crowd in that on-court interview. It was from a place of irritation, you know, the, the fact that they were doing it between first and second serves as well is, I think, the thing which annoyed him the most about it. And 
Yeah, and then when he when he started saying, "Guys, I can't hear Jim Courier. He's a he's a two time champion. You got to respect him. I can't hear him." That was yeah. He said that was great. He said, "At least respect Jim Courier. He won here. <laughs> it was brilliant." And then uh, very quickly after he went off court, um, footage started circulating on social media of the interview he'd he'd done just off court, the flash interview. Uh, with Eurosport, which had run in a number of different countries, where he was asked again about the the not booing, and uh, he, you know, again expressed his irritation with it, and and he concluded with the mic drop moment of, look, I mean, it's not everyone. I just guess the the ones that are doing it have a low IQ, <laughs> which is which I'm using. Daily from yeah. now on. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't remember what I said earlier to Matt. Like, oh, that's annoying, isn't it? And Matt went, "Yeah, m- must just have a low IQ." Um, <laughs> it's catch very all, trans- isn't it? It's catch all, very transferable. Um, so that's Daniel Medvedev. I mean, just fundamentally a far superior tennis player uh, today. He had he had calmed down a bit, I think, by the time he came to press. He gave a good press conference. He always does, but. I think we were expecting slash hoping for some more digs. And he he was awfully mature. It it is interesting though how, I mean, my wife was watching it and she was also hoping Kyrgios wins, you know, enjoying the match and that from that, through that lens and not, not into Medvedev, doesn't know Medvedev, has never, never heard him talk before. And then at the end of the match, she heard all this and it turned her view. She thought he was funny. She thought he was quite charming in his own, in his own way, the way he can be, you know, and um, and I think that that is that is the, the theme really. I think people discover him as things go along, and yeah, he's the sort of player that Kyrgios kind of could have beaten, I think. Um, but Medvedev is mm. maximising. What time you had in the in the law household today? Yeah. Off school, watching the tennis as a Great. family. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, what a day. Um, Medvedev faces Burtik van der Zandschulp next. Uh, Medvedev, I think, is the only player on tour that can pronounce Van der Zandschulp's name. Um, he uh, he taught me how to pronounce it, in fact. So, uh, I mean, it's hard to see him losing that. It's hard to see him losing to anybody other than someone that just, you know, puts in the performance of their life at the moment. But um, he was yeah, the only way player who got a set off Medvedev at the U.S. Open, wasn't he? I mean, I'm not I'm not sure that necessarily tells us that he's going to threaten Medvedev more than most, but it was unusual match for Medvedev that the US Open. He had a real offset mm. after crushing him and I just don't see that happening again. There's there's a there's I don't know, just he's he's more experienced. He talks a lot about the experience he's gained from the US Open. He's he's navigating his way through draws. I thought that was brilliant the way he just didn't get involved with the crowd today during the match he, he i mean he, there was not a flicker from him at all he he just played it straight and did what he had to do and yeah i think he probably could have engaged the crowd a bit more and still won but he realized what the best course for him was and just knows himself better and better as a tennis player i think medvedev mm, so why were matt and i not watching nick Kyrgios against Daniel medvedev well that's because we were as we said on the second court, watching Emirati Kanu battle it out against Danka Kovanic. This match was wild. It was it was all sorts of craziness, folks. Fantastically entertaining. Um I I tried to get there for the start of the match, just missed the first ball. And of course that meant I spent Three games, you know, laptop in arm, bag in another arm, water bottle dangling off one of my fingertips, trying to look over a bunch of David Law height, height heads to, to see a screen while I'm waiting outside a door to get into the match. Anyway, luckily those first three games didn't last very long because Radicani just, you know, I sent a text to the group saying, oh, Radicani's just doing it again. Um, three love up, she goes, and it, it's a double break. She's serving at three love. It all just looks a dream. And then she wins five points in the next five games. Uh, and during that time, she gets a medical timeout. 
for a blister on her on her racket and hand on her right hand and it's clear that it's an extremely nasty blister i have to say matt and i did raise an eyebrow in her first match against sloane stevens she was shaking out her hand a lot um and obviously she ended up winning that match playing really well so you know we put those concerns to the back of our mind well they were very much at the front of our mind at this point in this match and then the trainer comes on and all becomes all becomes clear um following the visit of the trainer late on in the first set which she loses Emma Raducanu starts hitting exclusively sliced forehands exclusively and 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 Kovinic in a sort of brain scramble type situation is just unable to cope with it it was like computer error or something it was it was so so interesting Emiratikanu won that set of tennis with only a sliced forehand and it was look she lost the match it was it was too much to to try and win that match she did start trying to 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 hit over the forehand in the in the third set but there wasn't nearly enough as much power on it as usual and she would generally hit one top spin and then have to revert back to the uh, to the slice forehand so so by and large she she played most of that match with a with just a slice forehand and it was just it was too much to actually win it and Kovinic, Danka Kovinic did get herself together and sort of for, formulate a plan i think for how to play this completely bizarre player completely different to who she had prepped for i mean it was a little bit of bianca andrescu in there it was it was genuinely and we learned this from radicani's press conference skills that she didn't know she had she was quite upbeat in press because she really learned something great about herself today and i think i think we all did too yeah, it was a bit of Bianca Andreescu. It was a lot of Monica Nicolescu. Um, the way she was slicing that forehand because she had to. And the the thing which I kept thinking of during the match is a Billie Jean King-ism. Champions adjust. That is what Billie Jean King always says, that champions, you know, they, they share that ability. And Radicanu made a mid-match adjustment you know look she went on to court with the blisters but and she was and she said in her press conference that some members of her team didn't think she should even be playing the match I guess for fear of making it worse or the or the fact that she wouldn't be able to compete because they were so bad but I don't think she went on the court expecting to have to hit exclusively slice forehands um because it it just got to a point where it was so bad that was all she could do and yeah, she really did have a good perspective on it in her press conference. Obviously, she was gutted to have lost, but she did win something today. She discovered and learned something about herself, something that she can do that she didn't realize she could do. That was a that was a shitty situation for her to have to play with blisters like that. And she could have just retired or she could have sulked over it and those would have been understandable reactions frankly but she didn't she found a different method a a sort of a different way of playing and embraced it and she was you know smiling and laughing when she was getting it right she had such a good approach the whole match and she carried that into her press conference such a such a mature perspective on it and yeah okay she lost but yet again it was another performance which was engrossing to watch and made you feel really really good about Raducanu's the tennis player and and also her future prospects because not many players could have done that I don't Mm -mm. think that was that was pretty special what she did even in defeat Mm. I feel so positive about what I saw tonight from Raducanu really more positive than if she'd just you know, blasted Kovinic away tonight, which I think a lot of people are expecting. We're all getting ahead of ourselves for a for a Raducanu uh, Hallett third round, which obviously would have been a dream. But 
I think one of the final questions of the uh, of the press conference, I think it was from Simon Simon Briggs actually, um, who Matt and I shared dinner with while watching the the latter stages of the Radicanu match. We had um, crocodile tail and chips for dinner, the three of us in the in the press box. You. <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It was all right. I'm not going to say it was a bit like chicken, <laughs> but it was a little bit like chicken, just slightly less nice. But fine. Anyway, Simon was Simon ve- was into it. Very glad of it. Anyway, his laptop less glad because yes, his laptop's now of a sticky mess. There I was think. aioli everywhere. Anyway, uh, I think it was it was Simon's question to to Radicanu in press. You know, is there a little part of you that's relieved you didn't somehow by hook or by crook find a way through that match because. You'd only have to go out and face a former world number one in two days still with this blister. And she did give a bit of a smile and say, yeah, there's, you're not beating Simona Hallett with a slice forehand, mm. um, which is incredible perspective. You know, of course, if she'd found a way, she would have relished it and loved it and given her best and all of that. But, you know, she's a Grand Slam champion now and to go into matches, there's there's pride at stake, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I'm so impressed with her today. Um, and think, I don't think the blister thing is a worry. She had 21 days without playing tennis and she said, my hands had become soft. That's how she, that's how she described it. Um, and she said her, her immediate plan now is to try and make up some of the off season training that she lost out on. Uh, during those 21 days when she um, she contracted COVID and had to go into isolation uh, in Abu Dhabi. So, um, look, she's saying all the right things. Please just just give her time. This is a positive step for Emma Adikanu. Um And I feel I feel really, I don't know, I feel really positive about her tonight. And that's a, that's a good place to be. Incidentally, Danka Kovanic is the first ever Montenegrin to reach the third round of a slam. So that's that's a good news story. And she will face Simona Halep, uh, who breezed past Beatrice Haddad Meyer tonight. Um, also in the night session, what did we have? We had Yannick Sinner, who had to come onto court uh, after Emma Adikanu, and he was quick to get off court very quickly. Uh, Steve Johnson was his victim tonight. So we'll have Yannick Sinner against Taro Daniel in the third round. That's because Taro Daniel, frankly, very comfortably beat Andy Andy Murray today in a really just routine, uneventful straight sets win out on the John Kane Arena. Taro Daniel's come through qualifying. He was so sharp today, so, so sharp. And that sharpness highlighted the dullness of Andy Murray, if you like. He was fuzzy around the edges in every respect. And with a game like his where you you just get nothing for free, it just it never felt on today, David. No, no, it didn't. I mean he he had his his little moments where he'd get back into a set and you'd think maybe this is the the moment it ignites, but no, I and I look I, I don't know what he said about it afterwards, but his his body language was one of immense frustration it seemed that he it just wasn't there and and you're right his opponent I was not expecting that from Tara Daniel I knew he'd qualified but he's been around for a while didn't know he'd got that sort of game that that was pretty spiteful out there and and he was he was too much for Andy Murray really nice interview with him by the way on the court afterwards which which made me smile I mean he he inadvertently swore in the middle of it just because he sort of looked so um, overwhelmed by the moment, you know, but he he was endearing and and it showed what a moment, what a making of him it was. Sort of, oh, I can't believe I'm out in front of all these people. Is basically what he said. You know, <laughs> we've had all this time where you know it quite quite clearly he plays in front of not many people a lot of the time, and then suddenly he's the centre of attention. And he was a bit nervous, more nervous in the interview afterwards than I think he was in the match as he was playing. 
until that third set. And he, I mean, his celebration on match point was to sort of shake his hands as if to say, oh, I'm so, I was so nervous. I was so tight to try and get over that line. But, you know, he got the job done. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I definitely feel a lot more positive about having watched Raducanu's performance than I did about Murray's, which, which, I, I mean, I'm, there may well be reasons that you can tell me about from what Murray said, but I, di- I didn't feel particularly encouraged by what I saw there. He said that he felt decent physically. He said he actually pulled up okay after the Basilashvili match. That was my big worry because I thought he looked pretty pretty lethargic and sort of laboured at the end of that one. Um, but he said he felt okay and that, that wasn't so much the problem. He just said he, he just played badly. And he did say he's got this new racket, which does take a bit of time to sort of break into but he wasn't using that as an excuse by any means he 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 was at a bit of a loss to explain how badly he played actually and he was he was deeply irritated by it because you know he pointed out he's never lost to someone ranked outside of the top 100 in a slam before as Tyro Daniel is you know by by ranking it's his worst ever defeat at a grand slam and you know for someone who I think this next period of his career, he he needs to see progress. He needs to see little wins along the way to keep him motivated and keep him going. And and he justify he said it, being away from home and all that. Mm. Absolutely. And he said, you know, he 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 was really emotional in in uh, Sydney, wasn't he, when he mentioned his family and he and he said in the press conference today that there's been some illness in the family at home in the last week and it's been been extra difficult being away and yeah I think he said after the Shapovalov defeat at Wimbledon didn't he 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 doesn't want to be losing like that to Shapovalov going forward that he's, he's got no interest in that and he's got no interest in losing round two to Tara Daniel at, at the Australian Open either so yeah I think I've been pretty positive on Andy Murray for the last six months really but this is probably the first time where I've thought hmm that that wasn't great really and, and I think he feels similarly mm, to be honest same i was expecting him to say look i just i just couldn't handle it physically after basilashvili and the run in sydney and and had that run to the final in sydney been the the week previous had it not been the week before the slam um then then things then things could have been different but yeah the, i did find those comments a bit a bit alarming it's going to be interesting i think the next few few weeks are going to be interesting brandy murray let's go back shall we to the very start of the day this is a very sort of scattergun podcast we've we've we started it at the end of the day but i simply had to bring you bring you news of of our lovely dinner with with simon briggs uh, eating crocodile tail um at the earliest possible opportunity but let's go back to the start of the day which feels like a, a lifetime ago but we we kicked off the day with two Tremendous upsets, really. Not just, not just in terms of seeds, but I'm looking particular, in particular, at Garbini Muguruza here, which I'm, I am so shocked that she lost that match today. I don't understand it. Elise Cornet is a good player. I know she had that one big win over Serena Williams uh, at Wimbledon, wasn't it, a few years ago? But I don't associate her with. With big wins, you know, I think of her as having a level and being there, being around. Um, and I think she's indicated that this might even be her final year on tour. I just, you know, Muguruza just seems so comfortable and happy and just at ease. I just don't know where this result came from today. No, me neither. I was, I've been really bullish on Muguruza's prospects this tournament, Um I've even dragged Catherine into mm. being bullish on Muguruza as well. Um, and look, I think there was plenty of reason to be. She was the Guadalajara champion. She reached the final here a couple of years ago. And last year, she had match point against the eventual champion. She's played well recently in Australia. This was a bizarre performance, really. I mean, look, Cornet did all the things Cornet does and played well. She tried to get under Muguruza's skin a little bit. She defended brilliantly. She served really well. She hit some brilliant passing shots. Her energy levels were really good throughout the entire match. It was an 
excellent Elise Cornet performance. But Muguruza was flat, really flat, never got herself going. Um, her legs looked a bit sort of slow and heavy to me. She wasn't, she wasn't getting to the ball in time. Her return was so bad. I mean, she didn't create a break point in the entire match. And whenever she did lift her level, you know, it was when she was already down in a game. You know, she wasn't doing it on any of the important points, so she couldn't really apply pressure. She couldn't get momentum. It was bizarre. And I think, again, she was a bit lost of, uh, in terms of trying to explain how it happened. She did mention something I didn't know, that her team had COVID during the off-season, which meant she had to train on her own for 15 days, you know, without them. And she said that did set her back. It wasn't the same. So her preparation coming in wasn't quite what she wanted it to be. But at the same time, I still think, I still think it was just a letdown of a performance really. And she, she did have the game in her to beat Elise Cornet. She just, just couldn't find it. I, I, th- I think the best thing about Muguruza's performance today was what she said in press after which, afterwards, which was uh, when asked to comment on her opponent and how she thought Elise Cornet could could now go on to progress through the tournament. She said, "Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say much about that. Good luck," <laughs> which is just fantastic. Um, so while Matt was watching that on the Rod Laver Arena, I was on the second court watching. Annette Contivate against Clara Towson. Yes, David, we're about to talk about Clara Towson. I've watched her live for the very first time. Um, I'd never seen her play before. I think two years ago, the last time I was at a a Grand Slam. I'm not sure. I'm sure Matt knew who Clara Towson was because she'd won the junior title the year before, hadn't she? And, you know, Matt's always got his eyes on... um, on prospects. Um, so we'd have, we'd have heard her name, but we, we definitely wouldn't have seen her play. Um, and she won really comfortably today against the net Contivate. And the fact of her winning, I don't think is a tremendous surprise. We know the talent of Clara Towson. David predicted this win in the newsletter, but I think everybody had, had an eye on this match as a potential upset because Towson is that good. The the manner of the defeat for for Contivate really did surprise me. Uh, she did not play smart tennis at all. She seemed almost put out to me that Clara Towson had so much more power than her and was sort of determined to try and make a point about her own power rather than, I mean, clearly, I know it's very easy for me to say sitting from my shady press box See, loving life up there. But clearly the thing you need to do with Towson is get her on the move. I mean, if it's a standing still hitting contest, I think Towson is going to beat everybody on tour every day. Maybe not Sabalenka. Um, You just got to get her out of position, get her on the move. And it felt felt to me like Contivate was just hitting the ball back to her and trying trying to give as good as she good as she got which was which was just never going going to work and she was yeah she seemed she seemed nose out of joint to me and and I was sitting not far away from Dmitry Tursanov who did not look like he had an enjoyable afternoon in store to me he he rushed out of his seat very quickly after that defeat but hey Clara Towson is extremely good she's fantastic to watch the ease with which she produces that breathtaking power is is something to behold and she now david faces danielle collins oh that that'd be very interesting to see whether she's able to invoke those tactics you discuss about how to beat towson because my first exposure to towson was that match against jennifer brady when i picked brady to win the french open a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago and <laughs> Towson's power on that day 
was was overwhelming and and that's what Brady was trying to do she was trying to hit her off the court as as if as if it was an affront to be faced by mm, this that's um, the word i've been looking for david to be faced by this uh, young player who's actually got a bigger forehand than she has and she'd also got a massive backhand too um i mean it's worth remembering that Towson beat Emma Raducanu just before the US Open this this last year and you know that was in a, a well a 125 event sort of challenger type tournament and i think Towson was put out a little bit by Raducanu winning the US Open and getting all this <laughs> attention in but but using it in a positive way i think she is ready to be the next one to come along and take some limelight and daniel collins i would ex- you'd expect probably collins to have a bit too much nous for her but i don't know Towson's get it gonna get there i it's just when not if yeah it's like she's seen what raducanu did and also leila fernandez you know leila fernandez also a teenager getting to the u.s open final and, and not in an angry way but has just thought huh that opportunity is there this is something that happens in tennis that can be me next i beat raducanu just before the u.s open and i think it wouldn't be anywhere near as surprising if Towson did progress through this draw because we've seen her weapons in the past. We've seen her trouble top players. Um, I thought she gave a funny quote in the post-match press conference. It it reminded me of when David Moyes um, spoke about Man U and, and he said, we had... We had problems in in some areas. We weren't very good at defending. We couldn't create chances. We couldn't keep the ball and we couldn't score goals. He basically said problems in in all the areas. And this was the opposite. This This was Towson saying, yeah, I thought my forehand was good. I thought my backhand was good. I thought my serve was good. And I thought I volleyed well. It was kind of like she really rated her own performance. Am I right in thinking uh, that she said she basically ignored what her coach had told her to do because she was just feeling so good? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she said I had a plan, didn't follow it because everything was going so well. (laughs) I love that though, instinct. Instinct player. Like it a lot. Um, I mean, obviously, you only do that if your instincts are good. Some some players, I would say, go with your instincts less. Um, so what did I do, David, after I'd just seen Clara Towson safely through to round three for you? I relocated to court number 13, which is pretty far away from everywhere, to watch Maxime Cressy for oh. you. Now, this was my first time watching Maxime Cressy as well. It's my first time watching... Thomas Mahach, I think is the correct pronunciation. Um, you might remember that name from the Davis Cup at the end of last year, the Davis Cup finals, where he beat Dan Evans, put in some really good performances. Um, Matt then came to join me in the Maxime Cressy Club. And I think, Matt, you'll join me in confirming to David that we're in. We are all in. We're with you. We're all about Maxime Cressy. Yeah, we liked what we saw. Mm. Mm. What did you like? Lots of things. We particularly liked, I would say, his his ease and his calmness at the net. You know, because Mahatch, just as you thought he would, David, put in a lot of pretty good passing shot attempts and kept the ball low a lot and forced Cressy to hit difficult volleys a lot of the time. And yet he didn't panic. He didn't fluster. He he just has an ability to use his hands and do what he wants to do at the net, really. I mean, as soon as he gets up there, he is in control, it feels like. And, and the way he knocks off volleys just at the first go was really striking as well. You know, he didn't even need to set them up a lot of the time. He just put them away so ruthlessly and efficiently and and also his his demeanor on court I think was pretty impressive you know there was there was a tiny moment when he served for the match the end of the fourth set and got broken and then had to win it in a tie break but that was a it was the only sort of flicker of frustration and looking over to his box the rest of the time 
He's pretty much, he, you know, he seems so, a real grown playing up. for himself out there and sorting yeah. it out himself, you know. Yeah, yeah, I found him really impressive. The 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 touch and the feel on the backhand volley, in particular, is is glorious, really mm. lovely. And he he moves well for a big guy. Moves really well. Doesn't look sort of awkward and and laboured as it some sometimes can when you're watching. No offense, David, the the larger gentleman. <laughs> He's very live. Live, I'm, yes. That's I'm, I'm the quite word. happy to be lumbered in with the large gentleman, <laughs> typical mover. Um, but no, I think I think you're right. I mean, I, I watched quite a bit of that, and uh, and Mahak uh, at, at one stage, I think he was six five and thirty love down in the fourth set, and reeled off four points in a row to break Cressy and get it into a tiebreak. Just stunning passing shots, really. But Cressy doesn't panic. Like you say, he's a grown-up. He's gone through the college system. He's he he's understood that there's going to be bumps in the road, and he's so committed to this approach of tennis that I think it's sort of simplified in his mind. It's it's a personal decision that he's taken that this is him as a tennis player, and through rough and smooth. Um, and it will be fascinating. I mean, he he, he does he, he really admires. Pat Rafter is his inspiration. And Rafter always used to say, look, this is my game. I'm coming in. If you can get past me, fine. If you can get over me, fine. But I'm coming. And uh, and I, I just, I enjoy that, as long as he's not playing John Isner. Well, he's playing Aussie Chris O'Connell, David, for a place in the second week of the Australian Open. All due respect to Chris O'Connell, brilliant win would fit him today in straight sets over Diego Schwartzman. But Chris O'Connell for a place in round four of a slam is a good draw. Things are things are looking good for Maxime Cressy fans, I would say, which is, I think, all of us now. We're in. It's a club. Confirmed. Uh, while, while we were watching Maxime Cressy uh, in the other universe of court number 13, Matt was, he was trying to create... A, a multi-screen situation uh, because there was there was Sabalenka double fault watch happening at that time, and Matt was Matt was checking after every point of the match that we were watching to see whether the the double fault count on the on the second court had had racked up because Arena Sabalenka, goodness me, she's going through it on those service yips. She served. 12 double faults in the first set alone. Six of those in the first game. Six in the first game. Uh, and she she, she lost that first set, folks. <laughs> Six games to one to, uh, to Wang Jinyu. And look, it was, it was pretty ugly, a lot of this match today. But Arena Sabalenko somehow won it. And as many negatives as there were... I'm really impressed mm. that Arena Sabalenka won that match because perhaps perhaps grit is one of the things that has been missing from what we've seen from her in the big Grand Slam matches. And okay, she hasn't played a really big one yet, but kind of feels like they're all big. She has felt in jeopardy every step of the way so far. You know, if you told me at the start of today there's going to be big upsets, she'd have been my first name on the list. I can't believe muguruth is gone and Sabalenka is still standing somehow. You know, Pam Shriver said uh, on the ESPN coverage at the end of the first set that based on what I know of the Yips, Sabalenka should have gone home to work on it instead of coming to Melbourne. Yes, because I thought, you know, six double faults in the opening game after you've revealed that Mark Philippoussis has been helping you with your serve is sort of throwing Mark Philippoussis under the bus a bit, sort of suggesting that, you know, his his serving advice isn't isn't working. But actually, I think there's such a ingrained problem there that it's going to take a, quite a lot of work and a lot of time for Sabalenka to to get over these yips and just one session with whoever it is, is is not going to be enough to solve them. But I actually think it's probably the most impressive win of the day, actually, Sabalenka. She's, she's missing a fundamental element of her game. And actually, it's a fundamental element of her game, which has become a real weakness for her. And yet, you know, and that weakness 
she thinks, she said herself, is mental. And yet the mental strength it then takes to overcome that and still manage to win and still manage to compete hard is incredible, I think. I think she showed a lot today. And mm. I must say, I do think she's often battled hard in the big matches and she's just maybe got things wrong tactically or or not not had the ability to switch things up perhaps but I, I i never doubt her intensity and her fight and her desire and she showed all of that today and more and i thought it was a real credit to herself that she managed to pull herself through and she did similarly in the first round as well you know she's done it twice now it's 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 an impressive little run from sabalenka even though as you said a lot of the tennis she's actually played has been really not very impressive yeah, I just wanted to say, we had an email from uh, somebody who, who entitled it Sabalenka is an Inspiration and just said, friend of the pod, Jimmy here, consider how much courage it takes to come on court in this situation. You're supposed to be the number two player in the world and you can't get a serve in and she does it anyway. And I thought, what a great way of putting it, actually. Yeah. I, 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 that was right in the middle of the match, actually, when she was going through all this and she's getting people making fun of her, really, and... And I th- it made me think, what a good way of putting it, actually. Mm. I, I really, I, I really agree with that. Actually, um, you know, you got to put a lot of ego aside to step out there as as a second player in the world, and and know that you're going to go through that. Um, yeah, very, very well said. She faces Marketa Vondrosheva next. Uh, I'm not even going to bother speculating about what on earth might happen in that match because Vondrosheva is just, she's she's the prediction's banana skin. You just don't know what she's going to do ever. Um, what else did we have today? Andre Rublev won. He beat Ricardis, Ricardo Barankis. Pavlyuchenkova won. She ended uh, Sam Stoza's singles career. A really nice scene out on the Kia Arena, the ceremony for, for Sam Stoza to mark the end of her singles career. At her 20th Australian Open, she is going to continue playing the season in doubles. Um, and I've mentioned Pavlyuchenkova and Rublev together because they are my favourite sort of hashtag Tennis United pairing. Uh, and Tennis Australia released a video of the two of them making Pavlova together today. And I found it very enjoyable. Um, Iga Sviontek is just, she's in that cruise mode that she has. She's barely losing games at the moment. She beat Rebecca Peterson today, now plays Kazakina. Yes, that's a yes, please, isn't it? Mm. Um, it, it was interesting because that, that match against Peterson was happening while the sort of chaos was going on on Rod Laver Arena with Garbinia Muguruza losing and Contevate losing on, on the second court. And Fiontech just avoided all of that mm-hmm. drama. She just ruthlessly won. And I thought something interesting she said in press this week is that she's been working on her strengths. You know, she's got a new coach now. And what they're doing is working on strengths. And she said, because I have a tendency to overthink on the court and if you're more and more confident in your strengths, it just simplifies tennis. And those score lines suggest that she's that she's thinking pretty clearly out on the court and it's a really, really good start for her. Yeah, absolutely. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Just uh, wrapping up the women's uh, draw today, we lost Elena Rabakino. It was a really tough scene out on the John Kane Arena uh, she, for me as well in the press room because I had gone big on Rabatkina in my predictions. Uh, she had to retire with that knee injury that we mentioned uh, that she was troubled by in the previous round against Serena Diaz. Uh, she had to retire in the, in the second set, so so Zhang Shui goes through to face Elise Mertens. It was it was tough. She you know she she was a titleist a couple of weeks ago. No finalist wasn't she, Elena Rabatkina? She knew. She knew she was in great form and I feel for her because she's always on the cusp of something, isn't she? She was just on the cusp of something and then a global pandemic hit mm. and then she's just on the cusp of something here and and this uh, this knee injury hit and she tried to tried to play on and I think played two points and, and called it a day and it was just it's just really sad to see for a back, you know. So I hope she gets, you know, a good run at things soon because because uh, she deserves it um couple of other results to wrap up uh the men's draw Stefanos Tsitsipas I'm conscious that we really haven't talked about him four sets for him over Sebastian Baez of Argentina um who was injured by the end of the match I I don't know what to make of Tsitsipas or where he's at I, I haven't watched that much of him he's 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 weirdly a bit under the radar, actually, in some ways. Yeah, he is, actually. Maybe it's because he's playing on the same day as Medvedev, mm. perhaps. And I don't know. My my attention kind of goes to Medvedev. I think lots of people would probably feel the same. He described his win as a lot of fighting and a little bit of swearing, which I thought was quite a good summary. He was frustrated. He said it took him a time, quite a bit of time to work out Baez, someone he'd never played before. It's just quite a tricky game, I think. Um, I asked him straight up, how's your elbow? And he said, fine. You know, he said, I, honestly, I have not, it's not troubled me since Sydney. It is fine. And he didn't need any treatment or anything like that. So it's a good sign because that's my biggest worry about Sitsipas. You know, I do think yeah. other than that, the game, the game mm. can be there. So maybe I'll he's in a better I'll place than it. Real, than it sort of feels like. I've dropped a clanger then, is what you're saying, by not having him in my quarterfinals. I, 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 I haven't I, got him in none, there either, David. None of us do, David. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, well, you can I, only work with the information in front of you. <laughs> I I sort of... I had him losing to Taylor Fritz in round four, which is a match that's still on course to happen. Fritz beat Tiafo today in three sets, which is a, a big win. Little wobble from him. He double-faulted serving... A match point serving for the match, but then he wrapped it up in in the third set tiebreak. So they're on a they're on a little collision course. That that Tiafo Fritz match, I think it was we didn't get to see that much of it. Three very competitive sets, I think, for those three. I mean, so striking the difference in physique um, between those two. I mean, one of them has been playing a lot of golf, and the other one's been playing less golf. I would say. Um, but yeah, the Taylor Fritz looking good. And I, I've, I don't know, there was, I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, we're all thinking vaguely the same thing. So Fritz now faces Roberto Bautista Agu, uh, and Sitsapas faces Benoit Pair, who's unexpectedly doing a thing. He's having a run. He's beaten Grigor Dimitrov. 
he's he's got this extraordinary head to head, I think, with Grigor Dimitrov, hasn't he? He's beaten him four times. Um, so who knows? Maybe it's just one of those quirky head to heads, or maybe Benoit Paire is ready to finally fulfil all his talent. Anyone want to speculate about whether that's the case? Is he going to challenge to, it to pass? Happy to take it in its own isolation that particular match mm, and okay. just not try to read anything into it whatsoever. Understood, David, understood. Um, Pablo Andujar, the movement killer, uh, he has reached round three at the Australian Open for the first time aged 35. And I think that deserves a little bit of a round of applause. Um, and he faces Alex de Menor next, so he's got the chance to to do some more movement killing. <laughs> First time Alex de Menor had won a match on the Rod Laver Arena today, which that was that was a big moment for him. And I Matt think. was the only person that showed up for his press conference. Mm. Yeah, really great, great Aussie hope. I know. Wow, that does surprise me. Yeah. How, how, did, how, was, how did that conversation go, Matt? Uh, this is where I say find out in the newsletter. Ooh, but wow. it was very nice. It was very Excellent. nice. Yes, yeah, sign up then. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't plan that, folks. Uh, last match I think that we want to mention is Felix Auger-Aliassime against Alejandro Davidovich Fakina on the Kia Arena. My goodness me, this was gruelling. I mean, Matt and I went out to watch a short portion of it and... Uh, and that was gruelling enough. Then Matt went out for a second stint, and that sounded gruelling. And then the match seemed to go on for another sort of seven hours after that. And it was only four sets. Goodness knows what would have happened if if Alejandro Davidovich Fakina had managed to take it into a fifth, which could have happened. Four tie-break sets it was, wasn't it? It was, It. I mean, marathon, marathon stuff. And I know Felix Auger-Alessim is an extraordinary physical specimen, but he has had serious court time to get to this point. Yeah, and played right in the heat of the day. It was hot today at Melbourne Park, and this was, you know, in the baking sun for four-plus hours. Um, Yeah, I found it interesting. Um, I remember we commented on Orgelia Seam against Bautista Agu at, ATP Cup and, and how good Auger-Aliassime looked and how how secure he looked. He wasn't making the, the sort of same errors that he often mm. makes. And I and I really thought maybe that sort of playing someone with that rhythm helped him. But he's played two players here who give him rhythm. Rusevori and Davidovich Fakina, they're baseliners. He's had rhythm. And yet I've watched quite a lot of him and he is spraying the ball. You do not know what is coming off off his racket. It's either a sweet connection with a perfect pop and it looks brilliant. It's sort of mesmerizing or it's a shank and it's going, you know, 10 feet long. And it's, it's, it's a real mix at the moment. And I, and I do think perhaps though, Davidovich Fakina and Rusevori both have firepower. And I think he's been wary of that. And I think he's been trying to pull the trigger a little bit, perhaps when he shouldn't be. Um, very different style of his, with his next match against Dan Evans, who didn't have to play today. Um, after Rinder Kanesh withdrew with a wrist injury. So, you know, couldn't be more contrasting circumstances for those two. Felix, about eight hours court time in two matches. Dan Evans, very fresh, having had a day off. Sometimes that doesn't help. You know, sometimes that can actually hurt a player. So... That's an interesting third round, but gosh, Felix has had to has had to battle through, and his celebration afterwards was was as big as you see from Felix Auger Aliassim. He was he was buzzing to have won that today. He he really was. Felix Auger Aliassim against Dan Evans is uh, is a match that I can definitely get excited about. That'll be in a couple of days' time. The schedule for tomorrow is tasty. Is very tasty indeed, David. There is a lot of this that you're not going to be allowed to watch because it's happening in the middle of the night. And if I see you tweeting at three o'clock in the morning again, there is not going to be a podcast tomorrow. <laughs> Those are the rules. I don't. David's going to need to start a 
burner account or something. Yeah, I mean, close, <laughs> close your ears for this schedule, David, because you're not allowed to watch any of it until the night session, okay? Uh, Azarenka against Svitolina, first up on Rod Laver Arena. We'll Ooh. let you know the result in the podcast, David. Okay. Uh, Krachikova against Ostapenko up Ooh. next. And then, uh, in likely sensational match that you're not allowed to watch news, David, Alcaraz. I think you can watch some of this. Alcaraz against Berrettini. Look, oh, I'm watching that. If it goes long, you can watch the end. Okay. Well, can you make the others go longer, and then I can. Hey, can I tell you, David, that uh, the bookies have Alcaraz as the favourite for that, which I think is silly. That but is there silly, you go. isn't it? I mean, I would pick him to to win it, but I don't. On paper, that I'm very, very surprised. They're, mm, they're scared of heard, Alcaraz. They've heard. They've heard about your uh, your big. Your big calendar slam prediction. At night <laughs> session, you're allowed to watch as much of this as you like, David. Ash Barty against Camilla Georgie first up. And then Karen Hashanov against Rafael Nadal is the second match on Rod Laver. Second court, we have Jessica Begula opening things up. Then it's Badosa Kostiuk which I'm really looking forward to that match. Mm. I think that could be very interesting. And then Riley Apelka against Denis Shapovalov. Night session... Here we go, David. You can you can glory in this. You can bathe in it. Anisimova against Osaka. Yeah, I and then Karatsev Manorino. No, that was, you can have a nibble nibble on that if you like. That was one of the things we noticed when we were out watching Maxime Cressy do his thing on the courts behind us. We had Amanda Anisimova practicing, and the sort of court behind us to our left, we had Naomi Osaka practicing at the same time. Just trying to trying to get a little sneak peek. Um, Osaka was in a full black tracksuit practicing in thirty degree heat, mm. and Anisimova was practicing backhands. And Matt turned around and said, "You you don't need to practice those." <laughs> <laughs> right then, that is it. I think for day four with the Australian Open, it's been. It's been a really buzzing day. Uh, we've we've loved it. Matt is playing tennis in seven hours and twenty one minutes. Uh, so so we'd better get this show off the road. Tennis on artificial grass. Yes. Oh, can I come? David's favourite. Yeah. You've, you've got seven hours and 21 minutes to get here, David. See what you can do. Uh, Charlie, the lovely beagle, is our mascot for the, Australia, for the Australian Open. And we are delighted to have him. Hello, Charlie. We are loving all of your content. Uh, Billy Jean has Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss as, uh, as her mascot. Well, the other way around, isn't it? Billy Jean. Who's, who's mascot to who? Billie Jean is Billie Jean King and Alana's. I've said Billie Jean too many times now. They're just a dream weird. team, Catherine. That's dream all team. That. They're just one big dream team. Uh, Darwin is your mascot, David. Can't believe you got 40 points for Towson. That feels like too many. Go on, Darwin. Uh, let's, not, let's not talk about how Carter and I are getting on. Uh, Gerald the Cat and Matt. Also bad. Also bad. Uh, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our top blokes and executive producers. Um, we have some shout-outs, Matt. We have John Aberdeen. Ooh. From John Aberdeen? No, from Arlington, Massachusetts. Oh. Or is, it, is, that, is there an Aberdeen in Massachusetts? That sometimes happens, doesn't it? We don't I know. don't think you want to be <laughs> called after where you live. That's weird, isn't it? David Solihull. I wouldn't mind. Uh, John, thanks ever so much for your support. Thank you, John. And he says, David may be interested to know that I'm a graduate of Albion College in <gasps> Albion, Michigan. I am. I need to Google this. Oh, fantastic. Isn't Thank that you, good? John. We also have Ian Farrand from Winchester. Hello, Hi, Ian. Ian. Winchester, Winchester's sort of round our way. Mm. I've I've been to Winchester. Oh, lovely. Ian, thanks ever so much. Ian says, I've estimated that over 2021, I cycled around 1,300 miles with you keeping me company. Oh, Thank you're you. a legend, wow. Ian. Nice one, Ian. Thanks very much. And finally, tonight, we have Matthias Caro from Munich. 
Like Hello, Matthias. Matthias. There must be some uh, tennis players called Matthias. Maybe there be. aren't. Okay. There's a good, there's a good tournament in Munich. There still is, isn't there? The one on clay in April. Yeah. Oh, nice place. I, yeah. I, I I went to Munich on a holiday a few years ago and uh, toured the Allianz Arena, and it was lovely. Oh, great memories. Thanks ever so much for your support. Thank you, Matthias, for your support. Uh, thank you for all the friends of the podcast that have made it possible for Matt and I to get sunburnt in Australia. I'm speaking for myself, not Matt. Uh, I missed a spot with the sun cream, uh, so we'll endeavour to do better tomorrow. Uh, it's been quite a day and uh, the schedule tomorrow is brilliant. So let's get some sleep. Let's do it all again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.